Amen. Lord, we thank you and praise you that indeed eternity is a reality. One day we'll be in your presence forevermore. And Lord, we have just this vapor of time to serve you here, to know you better, to tell others about the truth and the hope that lies within us. Father, we ask as we go to your word right now that you would be our teacher. It's not the words of men, but the word of God that transforms lives. So we ask that your word would go out with power. Your Holy Spirit would minister to every heart that is here. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel. It's really great to have you here. And again, if you're new, we do hope you feel welcomed and loved. Uh, Here at Calvary Chapel, we don't have membership. You show up, you're a part of the family. And so we're just glad you're here. All right, a couple things real quick before we look at the... uh, text this morning. Um, One, Pastor Bill asked me to exhort the college group yet again to go to the college retreat. So you guys should go, all right? You'll be encouraged. You know, the Lord would take time to get away and spend time with the Father. And so too, we need those times of being refreshed in the Lord. And then secondly, I'm I'm hesitant to mention it, but I'm going to. uh, Be praying this week because we are in final negotiations on yet another building. Um, so, you know, if you've been coming here for any length of time for about the last four and a half years, I think we've been through this, I don't know, 10 times, something like that. But you know what? God is faithful and he's in control. Amen. And so we may be hearing something this week. So just be in prayer. If God wants us to to do it, God will work out the details. Amen. And he'll give us favor with the city so that we can actually move in there. So just keep it in prayer. And, uh, just so you know as well, you know we've been looking for four and a half years in Santa Cruz. Our heart has been to stay here in Santa Cruz. That's been my desire. But you know, at the, you know, you've been turned down by the city so many times, we have a choice to either fight them legally or look somewhere else. So actually, the building that we are in discussions about is actually in Scotts Valley. But you know what? God loves Scotts Valley too, amen? And it's still part of Santa Cruz County, and we'll still be Calvary Chapel, Santa Cruz, and so uh, you guys can drive your cars over there as well. So keep it in prayer. If God wants us there, he'll work it out. Amen? All right. With that being said, I, I, you know, I'm your pastor, and I'm very transparent. As you know, I, I, ba- I went back to work. I'm working a full-time job along with pastoring the church here, and, I, and you know, sometimes just the economy of time, just being as transparent as I can be. Last night, preparing for First Peter this morning, I got to the realization at about 4.30 this morning, I was not going to be ready. And so I will never get up here and teach you a text unready. Amen? So we will be back in 1 Peter chapter 3 next Sunday. Uh, next win- this coming Wednesday, we will be in Genesis 24. So with that being said, when that happens, I took some time and spent some time with the Lord, and He led me to Numbers chapter 32, a message we looked at about four years ago on a Wednesday night. So turn your Bibles to Numbers 32. It's in the front of your Bible. Those of you only come on Sunday, there is a front of your Bible. It's called the Old Testament. God has it in there for a reason, amen? All right, and I'm going to take a few moments and bring you up to speed as to where we are in the text, just to give us context, because as we've said many times, you take a text out of context, all you got left is a con, and for you to truly understand what's happening in Numbers 32, by the way, some of you are going, Numbers? Is that in the Bible? I thought that was... Guys, it's a great book. And I pray that by the time you leave here this morning, you will understand it and have a desire to read the rest of it. Numbers gets a bad rap. Numbers is really, probably a better name for it, would be through the wilderness. Because this is the time that the children of Israel spend wandering in the wilderness, where an 11-day journey turned into a 40-year death march because of disobedience. God had delivered them out of bondage in Egypt. He was leading them into the promised land. 
they had seen the mighty hand of God. They had seen him part the Red Sea. They'd seen the plagues that delivered them out of bondage in Egypt. They'd seen their backs up against the Red Sea, nowhere else to turn, and God opened it up. They walked through in the Red Sea, and then we know that the enemy came through behind them, and God flooded it. I love how people like to explain away the miracles of the Bible and say, well, it wasn't really the Red Sea, it was the Reed Sea, and it was only, you know, about a foot deep, and that's the reason they were able to walk over. Well, in my mind, that just makes it a greater miracle, because a bunch of guys on chariots drown in a foot of water. Amen? But here's the point. It was the Red Sea, and God opened it up, and they traveled through to the other side, and they were headed to the land of promise, and the pillar of fire was leading the way, and the mighty hand of God was upon them. But sadly, we know that the children of Israel, a lot like us, that though God had done great and awesome things, and they'd seen his mighty hand at work, they get to the land of promise. They're in Kadesh Barnea, And they're about to travel into this land of promise where 400 years of bondage has finally come to an end. This 11-day journey has brought them right to the outskirts of God's highest. And then, as you know the story, they sent 12 spies into the land. God had already promised them, I'm giving you this land. This land belongs to you. It's yours. And they go into the land. And remember what happens is that 10 of them come back murmuring about the giants in the land. Now Joshua and Caleb, God bless them, came back and said, these guys will be, you know, toast to us. Let's go take care of these guys. They're bread for us. Let's go eat them up. God's on our side. Let's go. But sadly, they listened to the murmuring of 10 men over the word of God. And guys, that's a a word of encouragement to us, that we must not fall prey to the words of unfaithful men, but be, be obedient to the word of the true and living God. Amen? It's very easy to listen to the words of men and get caught up in it and start murmuring and complaining. Oh man, there's giants over there. They're going to kill us. And oh, it wasn't long before they started saying, oh, it was better back in Egypt. Amazing. Back with the beatings and the slavery. Let's go back to that, right? And it's amazing how we have this kind of memory that works that way. But you know what? They didn't trust God. They didn't trust his word. They didn't trust his promises, even though they had seen his miracles. And you know what? Many of us are in that same boat this morning. We've seen God do great and awesome things, but then when the word of God requires us to step out in faith, to face some giants in our lives, we wimp out. Because we're more consumed by our circumstances than we are being obedient to the word of God. So when we come to chapter 32, what has now happened is, because they disobeyed God, that entire generation spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And every male above the age of 20, outside of Caleb and Joshua, who brought back the good report, has died. So now they're back in that same spot again. Here's another opportunity given by God, this time, to enter into his highest, to enter into the land of promise that he had given them. And now, how are they going to respond? Well, what we have seen so far, and then we will get to the text, but I I think it's important for you to see this. When they would have a victory, almost immediately afterward, they would begin to complain. God would do something great, and then they would question God. And then God would do something great, and then they would question God. They were the, you know, the yo-yo believers, right? I mean, one minute trusting God, the next minute back over here, and some of you are going, wow, that sounds like my life sometimes. But here's the point. The point is that God would bring a great victory as he did, and then they began to murmur against God. They began to cry out against God. And if you know the story, he brought serpents into the camp. 
And the serpents began to bite them because they were murmuring against God. If you remember the story, what happened then is Moses said, Now look, all of you have been bitten by a serpent. What you need to do is you need to look up at this brass or bronze pole that has a serpent on it, and you will be healed. And if you read that story in the Old Testament, you think, what in the world is that? So you get bit by a snake, and you look at a picture, you look at a snake on a, on a bronze stick, and that heals you? What is this, voodoo or something? Doesn't that sound kind of crazy? But guys, it's very clearly a picture. Because in the Bible, bronze is a picture of judgment. And the Bible tells us the serpent being a picture of sin, picture of the enemy, but what's awesome is the Bible also tells us that he who knew no sin became sin for us. Jesus Christ took all of our sin upon himself, and this picture of sin upon a bronze pole is very clearly a picture of the cross. And all who would look up, all who would look up would be healed. And the same is true this morning. If you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ, it's not you doing good works, it's not you being better, it's not you trying harder, it's you coming to the end of yourselves, realizing you've been bitten by the serpent of sin, that you need to be born again, and the only way that's going to happen is by you looking up. Amen? So this is the time frame. God has done all of these miracles. They're back there at that land of promise again. They're about to cross over the Jordan and enter into all that God has for them. And that brings us to Genesis 32. So, numbers. See, thank you guys. I'm glad someone's paying attention. We're in Genesis on Wednesday, so it's not totally out of control that I, that I said that. Now, as we get to verse 1, what has just happened is they've come to that place. Balaam was, you know, Balak gets Balaam to try to pronounce a curse on them, and God won't allow it. And then when they don't fall for that, he sends a bunch of Moabite women into the camp, a bunch of idol-worshiping women, and what sadly happens is a lot of the guys fall for it. You know, okay, uh, I can have a beautiful woman if I worship idols. I'll do that. And, you know, sadly, that's what happens today still. A lot of times it's like, I'll do whatever I have to do to get the woman I want or the man I want. I'll walk away from God. That had just happened. It had gotten so out of control that even one of the men had brought one of these idol-worshiping women into the very place where they worshiped and was about to you know, commit fornication right there. And there was a prophet of God who came in and threw a spear through him and said, you know what, I'm not going to allow this. I'm not going to allow, you know, this ungodly behavior to happen right here in the midst of it. And so God brought a plague and 24,000 people died. And God was reminding them that, you know what, if you turn your back on me, I'm still God. I still love you. I still want to draw you into my presence. But you know what? I'm God and I'm, and you know, if you disobey me, there are going to be consequences. So that's the backdrop. And now we come to this place where you would think obedience would probably be a good idea right about now. They disobeyed the last time they were here. They marched in the wilderness for 40 years until everybody died. They brought the Moabite women. The Moabite women were allowed to come into the camp. A plague came and 24,000 more guys died. You know what? God's kind of in control and I think we should obey him. And that brings us to where we are this morning as they're camped outside again. They've just won a mighty victory. They've just wiped out some of the very Canaanites they were afraid of the first time. They're just about to cross over the Jordan where, yes, there's going to be some more giants, but they've already defeated many of them. Now, how are they going to respond? So if you're a note taker this morning, taking notes, I titled the message, The Spirit of life, entering into all 
that God has for you. And the, five, the six points we're going to look at, how do we enter into all that God has for us? By not staying where it's comfortable and pleasing to the flesh. We're going to see as they're camped outside that the place that they are is really green and lush. The enemy's already been defeated. Boy, wouldn't it just be easy to stay here? There's more giants on that side. Let's just stay here. Well, that's going to be a temptation. Number two, the spirit-filled life, entering into all that God has for you by having a heart to minister to and encourage others. God didn't save us to be pew potatoes, amen? God didn't save us to be the best-fed, fattest sheep in town. God saved us to use us to minister to others. You're going to have divine appointments this week. God wants to speak through you, and he wanted to speak through them. Number three, by being led by the Holy Spirit, not the mistakes and rebellion of the previous generations. Guys, it's not mom and dad's fault that we're not walking with God. Amen? And we don't follow the ungodly patterns of the world. We seek after the Lord. Amen? Number four, by not leaving your family behind. You know what? We can sacrifice our family at the altar of ministry. We can leave our family and say the best thing for them is for us not to be too on fire for God. Man, you know, heaven forbid that we be on too on fire for God. What would that do to our kids? And the reality is that God's desire is that we take them with us. Number five, by not being satisfied with God's permissive will, only its perfect will, and by having an eternal focus. So let's begin. As now things have gone well, they've won a mighty victory, the plague has just taken place, but they've seen the hand of God at work. Okay, the, God has brought the wealth back. 12,000 soldiers had gone out and fought the battle. They, got, they won. God gave them the spoils. They're right there. There's the Jordan River. It's time to cross over. So let's begin in verse 1. And again, entering in complete to all that God has for us, the Spirit-filled life, by not just staying where it's comfortable and pleasing to the flesh. Verse 1, Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad, okay, who are they? There are 12 tribes of Israel. These are two of the tribes. So these are uh, huge groups of people. The children of Reuben, the children of Gad, two of the 12 tribes of Israel, had a very great multitude of livestock. And when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that indeed the region was a place for livestock, the children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spoke to Moses, tell the Azer the priests and to the leaders of the congregation, saying, Adaroth, Divon, Jazer, Nimrah, Heshbon, Eliah, Sabom, Nabo, and Beon, the country which the Lord defeated before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock, and your servants have livestock." Therefore they said, if we have found favor in your sight, let, it, let this land be given to your servants as a possession. And then, if you underline stuff in your Bible, do not take us over the Jordan. Now this may seem like a very innocent request. God has blessed them. Notice that, notice that when wealth comes in, distractions take place. That they were blessed with a great amount of livestock. So now they've got a lot of stuff. And guys, when we have a lot of stuff, Often we can cease to be desperate for God. And I'm not saying it's wrong to have stuff. You just need to make sure that you realize it's God's stuff. Amen? That was actually kind of weak. Is it God's stuff or not? What's the answer? So it's God's stuff. And again, we need to be good stewards of it, and we need to be faithful and serving God. But know this, that now that all the stuff has come, and hey, the enemy's been wiped out, and it's pretty green over here, and this land looks really good for cattle, and we got a lot of cattle, and hey, why don't we just stay here? The Jordan, you know, hey, that's another river to cross. I know there's more giants over there. I remember what Grandpa said about the giant. Now, he died because he wouldn't go, but maybe we can just stay here. 
Don't follow the ungodly pattern of the faithless. And again, it's often the times of the greatest physical blessing that we can become satisfied and complacent spiritually. And so this land of Jazer and Gilead was known for its good pasture. And these men who had been blessed by God thought, boy, this land's paid for. There's nothing else to do. Let's just stay here. Seemed like the perfect fit from a physical perspective. Again, many times today we can be moved by our circumstances and look only at the physical perspective. Not being led by the will of God, not being led by the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes we'll say, hey, let's go move to another city. And I'm not saying God doesn't do that. Of course he does. But sometimes we'll say, well, let's move because it's cheaper there because we can live easier there and maybe God will do that. But you better make sure that it's the Holy Spirit leading you, not the circumstances. Amen? Because I have had people that have been on fire for God. They move to where it's cheaper and all of a sudden they're out of fellowship. And, you know, it, it makes sure that the Lord is leading. They're not being led by your circumstances. Not our fleshly desires leading us into that which is most physically comfortable, making us spiritually complacent. So the end of that, he says, do not take us over the Jordan. And again, this seems like an innocent enough request. But it showed an incredible indifference to the word of God. God had told them what? You are going into the land of Canaan. Go in and possess the land. Go take the land. I've defeated the enemy before you. You are to go into the land. I want you to go into the land. Then they get to the outskirts of the land. They go, well, maybe not so much. Because now again, looking at our circumstances, this is easier. I know that's what God says, but I'm almost there. And you know, the Lord will certainly forgive me because I came most of the way. I mean, what does he want me to do? Surrender my life completely to him? Yes. That's exactly what he wants. Amen. And guys, what he wants for us is always what's best for us. He's not a no-fun bummer God trying to keep you from fun. He's a loving Heavenly Father who wants to keep you from harm. And he has a plan, and he has a place, and it is a blessing to be in the center of his will. This is the very land that God had promised to Abraham. For 400 years, the children of Israel had longed for that place. Ever since Jacob had moved the family into Egypt to find relief from the famine, this had always been God's land of promise. It was the word of God that had promised it. It was God's highest. Israel had a divine appointment with Canaan. And yet we have these two tribes that say, well, can't we just stay here? Now, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament, we have the pictures of New Testament truths. Old Testament pictures of New Testament truths. And what we have seen with the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness and their time from Egypt till they get to the Jordan is absolutely a picture of your, your, your walk with the Lord and my walk with the Lord. How is that, Pastor Dave? Let me tell you how. First of all, Egypt is a type of the world. Egypt and its bondage and all that, you know, the, the, all that comes with it, a type and a picture of the world. But if you'll remember, how were they delivered out of bondage in Egypt? It was that final plague, Passover. If you remember what happened, that he came, they would not let the people go, and he said, if, if you're my children, if you're my people, the command came from Moses to take the blood of a lamb, a perfect lamb. They would bring that lamb into their home and inspect it for four days. And at the end of that time, that perfect lamb, it, its life was taken. Its blood was shed. Then they were to take that blood of that lamb and apply it to their doorpost, doorpost at the top, at both sides, and at the bottom. 
Now, if the blood of the lamb was applied when the angel of death came down into Egypt, the angel of death passed over, that's where the word pass over comes from, passed over their family and they were spared. Guys, this is very clearly a picture of the cross of Calvary. Jesus, where did he, where did he bleed? Four points. Here, both hands, upon his head, the crown of thorns, and on his feet. But notice it was the blood of the Lamb when Jesus came and his public ministry began. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the fulfillment. But notice, they were in bondage until the blood of the Lamb was applied and the angel of death passed over and they were brought out of bondage and into life. Guys, it's a picture for us. And notice too, it's not enough to have the blood of the Lamb. It's not enough to believe in the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb had to be applied. Guys, it's not enough for you and I to believe that there is a God. It's not enough for you, to, you and I to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross. We must come to the place where we come broken and repentant before Him and ask Him to be our Lord, our Savior, our God, and our King and apply that blood of redemption to our lives. Amen? And so this is the picture out of bondage. And then the Red Sea, Pastor Dave's opinion. Here, a picture of baptism. It's a public confession. It's letting the whole world know that I want to be identified with Jesus Christ. But in their case, it was the thing that brought them out of the grips of the enemy. And they headed into the land of the wilderness. Now, for us, that picture in the wilderness is that picture of a life going towards God's highest. And as they got to the Jordan River... The Jordan was that final you know, place to entering into God's highest. They've been saved out of the world. They've been delivered out of bondage. But God still had something more. Sadly, that's much of the church today. Delivered out of bondage, going to heaven, but missing out on God's highest. Guys, don't we want God's highest here and now? Don't we want to be used by him? Well, guess what? For that to happen, they had to cross over the Jordan River. Where the Red Sea is a picture of water baptism, the Jordan River is a picture of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Guys, when we're baptized in the Spirit of the living God, we then enter into the fullness of all that God has for us. In the book of John, it says that the Lord breathed the Spirit in them. But then, as he was ascending into heaven, he said, Go and wait, for the Holy Spirit shall come upon you. Guys, he's outside of you before salvation. He's with you. He comes in you at salvation, but there's a, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. As you've had me say it before, I don't care what you call it, just get it. Amen? And we need to be filled, less of us and more of him. And that happens when we've been baptized in the Spirit. And we need to be baptized again and again because we leak. Amen? We need to be filled afresh. And so this is that picture. There, we've got out of the bondage. We've been delivered out of Egypt. We're right here next to what God has for us. But can't we just stay here? It's more comfortable over here. Can't we just stay where our livestock are going to love it? Can't we just settle for right outside of God's highest and God's blessing for us. You know what? My life doesn't need to be that fruitful. I don't need to be that, you know, on fire for God. You know, leave that to the professionals, man. I'm just going to be an undercover Christian. And, you know, as long as I'm going to heaven, I got my get out of hell free card in my wallet, and I'm good, right? I just want to, you know, I just want to go about my day and go about my business and not just be so fired up for God. Hey, dude, relax already, man. Come on good enough for sunday morning for an hour and a half that's enough that's not god's will for us and so may we not have saved souls and wasted lives these are men who 
and tribes who don't want to go further with the Lord. They want to just stay where it's comfortable. You've heard me say it before. Christianity is like a grease pole. You're either sliding up or climbing. You're either climbing up or sliding down. Amen? There really is no such thing as a stagnant walk with God. You're either drawing closer to Him or you're falling further away from Him. Lord, help us to draw closer. Amen? Help us to press into the kingdom. So the Spirit-filled life, entering to all that God has for us by not just staying where it's comfortable, where it's easy on my flesh. How am I going to grow? I'm going to press in. How am I going to grow? I'm going to seek to be filled with the Spirit of the living God. The Bible says if you are filled with the Spirit, you will not walk in the lust of the flesh. The only way we can have that Spirit-filled, victorious walk with with God is to be filled with the Spirit to overflowing. Point number two, the Spirit-filled life, entering into all that God has for us by having a heart to minister to and encourage others. Verse 6, And Moses said to the children of Gad and the children of Reuben, Shall you, brethren, not go to war while we sit here? You know, are you, we're going to go to war and you're just going to sit here, you know, with your cattle? You know, sit here and just hang out and we're going to go to battle against the giants in the land? Is that really your heart? Is that what you want to do? You know what's interesting? In the previous battle, there are three million in the children of Israel. Three million. You know how many went out and fought? 12,000. 12,000 fought. And when they came back, God gave half of the spoils to the 12,000, and the other half was split amongst the 2.99 million, right? Well, you know what's interesting to me? This is such a picture of the church today. So many Christians were kind of sitting on the sideline watching others be busy about God's work, maybe throwing out a cheer once in a while, kind of like a football game, right? You got 22 guys out there battling their guts out and 80,000 people up in the stands going, yeah, you know, right? And sometimes that's the church. You got those who are so faithfully serving God, who are willing to lay down their lives for him, and so many of us just sit back on the sidelines, maybe throw up a cheer every once in a while. And so there's their decision. Hey, we're just going to hang back here. You guys go fight the battle. We just want to be where it's easy. We just want to be in a place where we no longer have to deal with conflict. Are we going to go forward and grow, move on? Again, growth is going to come from the battle. And and guys, sometimes that's hard to hear, but it's reality. You know where you're going to grow the most? In the times of difficulty. It's in the midst of the trials and the difficulties of life where you become desperate for God and where God's going to prepare you to be a witness to somebody else. And it's in the midst of that where you grow the most. And we want to avoid that. But God would say, don't avoid it. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials. Verse 7. Now why will you discourage the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord has given them. Moses feared that, okay, if you two tribes stay here, what's going to keep everyone else from wanting to stay here? And have you ever noticed that you become like the people you hang out with? And have you ever noticed when other people start to compromise in their faith, it becomes more acceptable to you? And if you start to see others say, well, it's not that big a deal if I do this, and this isn't that big of an issue, and hey, man, we're living in 2008, Pastor, relax, man. You know, this isn't, you know, hey, yeah, I'm sleeping with my girlfriend. Yeah, we're doing this. Yeah, that's happening. It's not that big a deal. Yes, it is. It's a big deal to God. Amen? And what God says is the plumb line. God's word is what we follow. And sadly, he realizes, Moses says, if you guys stay here, you're going to discourage everyone else from moving out. But you know what also is true? When somebody's bold and steps out for God, doesn't it encourage you? Aren't you encouraged when you hear somebody else sharing their faith? 
Doesn't it convict you that, oh, I should have done that. I should be more open. I should be more vocal. I should be reaching out. You see somebody reaching out and loving on people, and you think, man, Lord, stir that heart up within me. And Moses' concern is that they would be a source of stumbling. If you want to go deeper in your walk with God to be used mightily by Him, there's a sure way to discourage that desire and to start hanging out with unbelievers or believers who are content with where they are. You know what? We should never be content with where we are with the Lord. Amen? No matter how close you are to God, can you be closer? What's the answer? And shouldn't we hunger for that? And so, God, don't let me be complacent and happy where I am, but Lord, give me a passion and a desire to draw closer unto you. Guys, complacency will rub off on you, so stay close to the fire. Surround yourself with those who have a passion to go deeper in their walk with God. I'll tell you, those are the people I love to hang out with. So he's concerned that you guys staying here is going to discourage all the other children of Israel. So a spirit-filled life, by not just staying where it's comfortable, by having a heart to minister to others and encourage them to go deeper in their walk, not by being a source of discouragement by compromising your faith. Guys, when you compromise, it not only impacts your walk with God, but it impacts others. And let me just say this. I'll be direct. I know that's surprising. Dads, you compromise, your whole family suffers. Period. We are going to stand before Almighty God one day, and long before God talks to me about my testimony at work, or about being the pastor of this church, I'm going to be accountable for what I did with the family he gave me to be the spiritual leader over. And it's time for men of God, as we talked about last week, to stop having our wives be the spiritual leader and for us to step up as God's called us to and start being the ones that lead our family in prayer, that bring our families to church, that lead a Christ-like example, and that keep our homes cleansed from things that God doesn't want to have there. Amen? Lord, raise up godly men. And so we're going to, complacency is contagious, but so is boldness. And so we see here this concern of Moses. Point number three, a spirit-filled life. You know, how do we have a life that continues to grow? By being led by the Holy Spirit, not the pattern of previous generations, not the mistakes and pattern of previous generations. Look what it says there in verse 8. This is Moses speaking. Thus your fathers did when I sent them away from Canish Barnea to, to spy out the land. Now remember, Kadesh Barnea is that place where they're right outside the land and they had sent the spies in and they brought back word about the giants. Verse 9. For when they went up to the valley of Eshgal and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel so they did not go into the land which the Lord had given them. This reminds them, hey guys, remember the 40 years wandering in the wilderness? Remember watching dad and grandpa drop dead? Remember that? Remember that? Remember watching people just die around you for 40 years, the 40-year death march, walking in circles, eating manna, right? Remember that? Guess why that happened? They got right where you are right now, and they wouldn't go in. And guess what? You're right back there. Do not follow the pattern and the failures of those who have gone before you, but you be obedient to the Lord. Don't use their disobedience as an excuse for you to do the same thing. Well, the reason I got a drinking problem is my dad drank. Stop blaming on your parents. Amen? Well, the reason I'm lazy, the reason I got this ad, hey, God has no grandchildren. At some point, you've got to fall in love with the Lord, and it's between you and him. Amen? And so we see here this 
temptation to follow the pattern of those who had gone before them because the ten spies had come back and discouraged them. But notice what he says. He reminds them, So the Lord's anger was aroused on that day, and he swore an oath, saying, Surely none of the men who came up from Egypt from 20 years old and above shall see the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me. It's another sentence underlined in my Bible. Because they have not wholly followed me. Why did they miss out on God's highest? Because they have not wholly followed him. Not fully followed him. Not completely followed him. Guys, it's time to move past lukewarm Christianity and be on fire for God. It's time to quit following him part of the way and follow him all the way. To give our lives completely unto him. Why did they miss out? Because they did not wholly follow God. They trusted more in the woeful words of men than the faithful word of God. Praise God for examples like these two. Look at verse 12. Except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they, they have wholly followed the Lord. Can there be a greater testimony than that? Joshua and Caleb, when everybody else doubted, when everybody else questioned, when everybody else murmured, when everybody else was afraid, when everybody else was focused on their circumstances, said, you know what? We're going to trust God. And we're going to step out if nobody else does. And we believe him. And you know what? They wholly followed God. And you know what? Guess who's going to get to go in out of that entire generation? Just these two. And we know that Caleb's going to go in at 85 and wipe out the giants. You've got to love that guy. Anybody at 85 that says, hey, they promised me land of giants, 45 years, I want it, so give it to me. And Caleb goes in there at 85 and tears them up. you got to love this guy. And Joshua too. I just love this picture. Now, again, those of you who come on Wednesday nights, you know this. Moses does not enter into the land of promise. You know that, right? Why? Because he got angry and he smote the rock. The rock being a picture of Jesus Christ. But Moses is a type of the law. Joshua's name can be transliterated what? Yeshua, which is Jesus. And what's interesting is, said this before, Moses didn't bring them into the land. Joshua did. The law cannot bring us into salvation. Only Jesus can. Amen? What a great picture in the Old Testament. So the Lord is the one who brings us in. And so he says, they missed out because they did not wholly follow God. In verse 13, so the Lord's anger was aroused against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years till all the generation that had done evil in the sight of God was gone. Wow. Some people think, well, man, you know, the God of the Old Testament, he's kind of rough. You ever heard that before? I kind of like the God of the New Testament better. Same God. Amen. Same God. Guys, why are they dealing with their consequences? It's because they chose to, dis- to disobey the Lord. God's not going to force His grace upon you. Do you understand that? He wants to give it to you. He wants to pour it out upon you. He will never force you to walk with Him. And they walked away, and because they walked away, their behavior had consequences. You know what? It's not enough for Jesus to be Savior. He must be Lord And it's not okay to just be satisfied being on the outskirts of God's highest. And he says in verse 14, And look, you have risen in your father's place, a brood of sinful men. You know, this Moses guy, he's pretty direct, isn't he? He's pastoring a church of three million. It's amazing. And here he is. He's not worried about, 
you know, the 40 steps to financial freedom or, you know, how to overcome your anger or let me give you three steps to joy or whatever. He just tells him, you know what, guys, you're a bunch of brute, brutal, you know, brutal, sinful people, man. You guys need to get right with God. Oh, man, we never have that guy back to speak at our church, right? But here's the point. Moses was more concerned with sharing the truth, doing it in love, but sharing the truth that they might see their desperate need to get right with God. Guys, that's what it's all about. Us being right with God, amen? Not comfortable in our behavior. So he lovingly admonishes them. You're a brood of sinful men to increase still more the fierce anger of the Lord against Israel. For if you turn away, verse 15, from following him, he will once again leave them in the wilderness and you will destroy all these people. Well, is this a warning or what? Guys, if you stay here and they stay here with you, do you understand that you're all going to die out here? You think it's the place of comfort and the easiest place to be, but the reality is it's the most damaging place to be. Guys, being where we are comfortable in our flesh is the most damaging place to be. It's not the best place to be. It may seem easy now, but it's going to be hard in the long run. So here's this exhortation to them. And then the next point in a spirit-filled life, do not leave your families behind. Look what he says here in verse 16. He's confronted them with their sin, and now they're going to come up with a new plan. He tells them, if you stay here, then everybody is going to wander in the wilderness. You're all going to die. God's anger is going to be upon you. So now they go, well, let's come up with another plan. Guys, we don't negotiate with God. Amen? Okay, God, you didn't like that plan, but how about... All right, I'll come Sunday and every other Wednesday if you just give me the berets at work, you know. And sometimes we try to like negotiate. He's not a genie up in the sky. And, you know, we don't, we don't manipulate God into doing stuff for us. Amen. He already loves you. He's already done everything for you. He sent his son to die. But notice what happens. Verse 16. And they came near to him. And look what they said. And said, we will build sheepfolds here for our livestock and cities for our little ones, but we ourselves will be armed and ready to go before the children of Israel until we have brought them into their place. And our little ones will dwell in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until every one of the children of Israel has received his inheritance. For we will not inherit with them on the other side of Jordan and beyond, because our inheritance has fallen to us on the eastern side of the Jordan. So, they think they're doing their kids a favor by leaving them out of God's highest. Hey, we're going to do our kids a favor by having them just stay over here. Now, we want our kids to go to heaven, but we don't want them to be like missionaries or anything crazy like that. I mean, come on. And we don't want, you know, we want them to, to know God and, you know, to have a little Bible by their nightstand. And, you know, that's good. And, you know, go to VBS. But, hey, we don't want our kids, like, totally radically on fire for God. I mean, they might do something crazy like serve him full time. We don't want that. And, you know, here's the thing, guys. The best thing that can happen to our kids is have them fall madly in love with Jesus Christ and surrender their lives completely to him. But sadly, what happens is we want to protect our kids and we're keeping them from God's highest often. And here's exactly what's happening. You, we're going to leave our families back here. We'll go fight with you because, you know, we don't want you to smoke us and you said God was going to if we did. So we'll go ahead and go over there, but we want to leave our families behind and then as soon as we're done helping you, we're going to run back out here in our comfort zone. You know, I'll go on a two weeks missions trip, but I'm not going to do any more. You know, come on. I mean, I'll go out and help for a little bit. I can help sometime. I can fill in one Sunday month, but don't ask me to teach the kids all the time. I mean, come on. Right? I'll go help for a while, but not forever. 
Lord, I'll, I'll serve you for a little bit to keep your anger from me, but I want to come right back to where it's most comfortable for me. We will go over and fight and then retreat to our comfort zone. And again, get a taste of all that God has for you, but then re- retreat back into the life of compromise. You know what? I'm sure if we had testimonies right now, many could stand up and say, you know what? I had a time in my life where I was on fire for God. I saw God doing great and awesome things. And then I retreated back to my old comfort zone. I left God's highest to go back what was easiest. And you know what? I realize now all that I've missed out on. I realize the consequences on my family. And that's exactly what's happening, happening here. So we are to bring our families with us into the battle. Guys, can I encourage you? You know, I was blessed, I've been blessed to take my kids on missions trips when they're 10 and 11 years old. I think it's great for them to go out and see firsthand what God is doing. I love to have them be involved in prayer. It's important to get your children involved in those things and allow them to have, that, have God's, you know, their faith become their own, not just mom and dad's. And sadly, what happens instead, I'm going to leave you behind. I'm going to go out and fight this battle and then come back. So don't leave your family behind. So the spirit-filled life, next point, isn't satisfied with God's permissive will. Look what it says there in verse 20. Then Moses said to them, if you do this thing, if you arm yourselves before the Lord of war and, you, your, and all your armed men cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out his enemies from before them and the land is subdued before the Lord, then afterward you may return and be blameless before the Lord and before Israel and this land shall be your possession before the Lord. Now, this seems like God's approving of their behavior. You know what, guys? God is a God of love and grace and mercy And he will allow us to walk in his permissive will. But you know what? We're going to miss out on his highest. And we're going to see that when we get to the end of the chapter. He's allowing them to stay. Okay, that's your heart. Come and help. You can go back. We'll let you stay there. But they're still going to miss out on the greatest, the great things that God had for them. We should not be content with God's second best. Amen? And guys, let me say this. We can miss out on God's highest. We can miss out on God's highest pursuing that which is good. We can miss out on the best pursuing that which is good. You can allow something that is, that is godly, that's not outside of his will, to consume you to the point that you missed out on the greater thing God had for you. And that's exactly what's about to happen here. Verse 23, and, it's, and it says there, but if you do not do so, then take note, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. You wonder where that verse was. There it is. You heard that before? Have you experienced that before? And be sure, your sin will find you out. Amen? Guys, we sin, God knows. Somehow we think God didn't notice. Well, if I do it like real quietly, if no one else sees it, if you know, nobody knows. If I do it in quiet, guys, God's always watching, amen? And he loves you. But you know what's interesting to me? And I love this, and they're in the youth group, so I'm going to, you know, when you're a pastor's kid, you're just wide open to be an illustration. That's just how it works. You're just born into the family. Now, Kevin, the same way. My son-in-law, you guess what? You get to be a sermon illustration now. But, you know, here's the point. The point is this, that I'll never forget that when my daughter was at Monte Vista Christian School, you know, a straight-A student, did a lot. Of, but every time she would mess up, I would find out. And her friends would even say, we can mess up a hundred times, and our parents, but every time you do, you get home 15 minutes late, your dad finds out. Every time. And I said, you know what, why, you know why babe, baby girl? Because the Lord loves you. And because he loves you, your sin will surely find you out. He's going to tell your dad every time. And you know what? He did. 
And it would frustrate her. But she praises God for it now. But here's the point. Those who the Lord loves, he disciplines. And if you're living a sinful life and there's no discipline, do you know God? Because if you're a child of the king, he loves you enough to bring discipline, to bring you back to where you belong. Know this, your sin will surely find you out. You're not getting over on God. The consequences are coming. And again, the sin of doing nothing would find them out. Sometimes doing nothing is a great sin. Your sin has consequences. The sin in, in, in the long run, you may be getting away with it for a moment. Understand God's grace is not God's permission. And know that in time, your sin will indeed find you out. Again, ought to cause us to pause every time temptation comes. You know what? I do this. There's going to be consequences. God's keeping me from it because he loves me. If I sow to the flesh, I'm going to reap of the flesh. If I sow to the spirit, I'm going to reap of the spirit. Now notice what it says. Build your cities for your little ones, verse 24, and your folds for your sheep and do what, do what has proceeded out of your mouth. And the children of Gad and the children of Reuben spoke to Moses saying, your servants will do as my Lord commands. Our little ones, our wives, our flocks, and all our livestock will be there in the cities of Gilead. But your servants will cross over, every man armed for war, before the Lord to battle, just as my Lord says. So, he allows them to set out camp outside of the land of promise. Again, an obvious picture of God's permissive will. His promise to Abraham, very clear. The word of God was very clear. They were to go into the land of promise, but instead they've compromised and said, we want to just stay right out here. We'll go to battle, but we're not going to stay there. And again, like many Christians today who settle for less than God's highest, pursuing comfort and the ease of life over being used mildly by God. Guys, we need to understand this. Christianity is not a cruise ship to heaven. Amen? It's been said it's a battleship anchored at the gates of hell. Guys, we're in a spiritual battle every day. And I want to be, you know, be encouraged. We win. Amen? We win. The battle belongs to the Lord. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. But guys, we're here to share with people the hope that lies within us. We're here to be salt and light. Now notice, last point. He says here, it's interesting, that we're going to see what happens when we take our eyes off of the Lord. And we cease to have an eternal focus. Because for, this, for us to enter into all that God has for us, we need to have an eternal focus. So, so far we've seen, by not just staying where it is comfortable, how do we have a spiritual life? By not having a heart to, min, by having a heart to minister and encourage others. By being led by the Holy Spirit, not by the mistakes and rebellion of the previous generations. By not leaving our family behind. By not being satisfied with God's permissive will. But notice now, an eternal focus. So Moses, verse 28, gave command concerning them to Eleazar the priest, to Joshua the son of Nun, to the chief fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel. And Moses said to them, If the children of Gad and the children of Reuben cross over the Jordan with you, every man armed for battle before the Lord, and the land is subdued before you, then you shall give them the land of Gilead as a possession. Again, the land outside of the land of promise. And again, it reminds me of those who seek the reward here on earth instead of in heaven. Guys, can I tell you what? Heavenly reward's way better. Amen? We think that we want to get the reward here and now. The stuff here and now is passing away. We should not build up treasure where, you know, thieves can come in and it can rust and fade away. But, Lord, our treasure ought to be in heaven. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Amen? 
And if your treasure's on earth, your heart's going to be here and your focus is going to be here. And again, I've heard it said that some people are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. I've heard that said. I, I have never met that person. I believe the opposite is true. We're so earthly minded, we're no heavenly good. And so the point here, the exhortation here, again, is that don't settle for less than God's highest. And don't be satisfied with the temporary riches of this world, giving up the eternal in pursuit of the temporal. So not watch this, though, because a spirit-filled life indeed is fruitful. Look what it says in verse 33. So Moses gave to the children of Gad, to the children of Reuben, and half the tribe of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, and now two and a half tribes, the kingdom of Sihon, the king of the Amorites, the kingdom of Og, king of Bashan, the land with its cities within the borders of the cities surrounding the country. Now, if you'll remember, uh, if you were here when we taught this some time back, that those kings were defeated mightily. God wiped them out. So now there's no enemy. So it seems like they're in a great place. Isn't this wonderful to stay here? Life is so easy. No more trials. Isn't this great? Guys, if, we're, if there are no trials, we're not serving God. We're not stepping out enough. We're not being faithful enough. But their compromise had impacted others because now you'll notice that half of the tribe of Manasseh had joined them. When we're lukewarm and unwilling to go forward with Christ, it has consequences on us, but it also impacts others. Now what's interesting to me is, and we're going to close with this, is when you find out about these cities where they stayed, what happened to them? Because they thought, this is lush and nice and green here. And they're going over to the land of the giants. And they got a bunch of battles in front of them. We're just going to camp out here where it's easy. Guess what? Being outside of God's will is never easy. Being in his permissive will is never easy. The best place to be is in the center of his will. So they stayed back to herd their cattle. And notice it says there in verse 34, And the children of Gad built Dibon and Ataroth and Aror, Ataroth and Shophan and Jazer and Jogba. It says, Beth Nimrah and Beth Haran fortified cities and folds for their sheep. And the children of Reuben built Heshbon, Elielah, and Kirjatham, Nabo and Baal Maon, their names being changed, and Shibma, and, the, and gave others names to the cities that were built. And the children of Matur, the sons of Manasseh, went to Gilead and took it and dispo- dispossessed the Amorites who were in it. So Moses gave Gilead to Machir, the son of Manasseh, and he dwelt there. Also to Jair, the son of Manasseh, went and took its small towns and called them Habath-Jar. Then Nobah went and took Kenneth and its villages, and he called it Nobah after his name. Now, you look at all that and you think, okay, that was really thrilling. I'm glad you read those names to me because I'll never remember them again, and I have no idea what that means, and that's why I don't read the Old Testament. But guess what? It's in there for a reason, because let me just conclude by telling you about these cities. Now, first of all, the children of Gad, they were herding cattle, right? When you get to Mark chapter 5, guess what's being herded in Gad? Pigs. Now, for Jews, herding pigs, not good, not so much, right? These are unclean animals. They thought, we're going to hang out here, and we're going to herd cattle, and when you get to Mark chapter 5, they're herding pigs that end up being demon-possessed. How's that working out for you so far? How's this land? This is the better land, right? Oh, not so much. Got a bunch of swine here now. That's how it ended up for them. Guys, and we settle outside of God's highest. Now, what's interesting, all of these cities I just named, became overrun with paganism. 
Dabon means wasting. Aror means ruins. Artroth means a thorn. Shofan means hidden. Jazir means weeping. Beth Nomra means house of rebellion. And Nebo and Baal were the names of Babylonian deities. So they stayed behind with their cattle and their kids. And before they knew it, their cattle was turned to pigs. Life was out of control. And what had happened? The place that they thought was the land of promise was overrun by pagan idolatry. Guys, when we hold our kids back from God's highest, don't be surprised when they become like the world. Don't be surprised when the world overruns them. And that's exactly what happens here. So a spirit-filled life, living a life that will count in eternity, to be able to fight the battles that go before you, to go deeper in your walk with Him, to not be satisfied with where you are spiritually, to pursue God passionately with your whole heart, to live a life that is not dry but fruitful. How are we going to do that? You've got to pass over the Jordan. How do you have a life that is fruitful, that's going to impact eternity? You cannot do it in the flesh. You must walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Amen? The Bible says in His Word that we are to ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if we ask, it's a prayer that He will answer every time. Guys, we need to wake each day and say, Fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit. Lord, without you I can do nothing, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We need less of us and more of him. Jesus said, of men born among women, there's been none greater than John the Baptist. Jesus said it, so we know it's true. And then John the Baptist said, I must decrease that he might increase. The best man who ever lived, according to Jesus Christ, said less of me and more of him. So where does that put us? Amen? Less of us and more of him. We need to be filled to overflowing. Lord, show me if I'm on the cruise ship. Lord, show me if I've become complacent in my walk. Lord, show me if I've left my first love. Lord, show me if I'm giving up the best to pursue that which is good. The word for the Holy Spirit coming upon you is dunamis. So we get the word dynamite or dynamic. Guys, when someone is filled with the Holy Spirit, you know it. Amen? And I'm not talking about, you know, a bunch of weird stuff happening. Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. Amen? If you're visiting here today, what are they going to do? Are they going to start? No. No chandelier swinging, nothing, I promise, right? Here's the point. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, you know what happens? Love. Fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. You want to have a life that reflects that? Got to be less of you and more of Him. We cannot be satisfied to camp outside of God's highest We need to step into the Jordan. We need to cross over into His highest. We need to be filled with His Holy Spirit. Then and only then can we see God do everything that He wants to do in us and through us. So the Spirit-filled life, entering into all that God has for you by not just staying where it's comfortable. You know what? That's an exhortation to me this morning along with you. By having a heart to minister to and encourage others. When was the last time you poured out your life into someone else's? When was the last time you even if it was inconvenient, even if it wasn't the best time for you to do it, where you stopped and you poured your life into someone else. You loved on them, you ministered to them, you encouraged them, and you cared for them. By being led by the Holy Spirit, not the mistakes and the rebellion of the previous generation, stop using your parents as a cop-out. Amen? Stop blaming it on somebody else. It's not about them. It's not about the woman thou gavest me. Don't do that. Amen? It's between me and the Lord. 
And it's time for me to get right with him. By not leaving my family behind, don't leave your family behind. Don't sacrifice your children at the altar of ministry. Don't you be running way in front of them. And don't leave them way back here. Bring them with you as God does the work. By not being satisfied with God's permissive will and by having an eternal focus. Guys, we need more of him and less of us. If Santa Cruz is going to be turned right side up, we need to be tools in the hands of our master. There must, we must die and we must allow him to speak through us to impact this county that so desperately needs Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you and worship your most holy name. You are indeed a great and an awesome God. We ask, Lord, that you would fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Each one of us here this morning, Lord, we come humbly and broken before you and we say, Lord, less of us and more of you. We pray the prayer that John the Baptist prayed. I must decrease that you might increase. And so, Lord, increase in our lives. Father, I do pray for those of us who've been camping in a place of complacency outside of your highest. Lord, light a fire in us this morning to want to go deeper in our relationship with you. And so, Lord, we come humbly and broken before you. We know, Lord, we can do nothing without you. So we just ask again, fill us afresh. Do great and awesome things. We thank you for the promise in your word that you do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Lord, move in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.